So this is a little conversation on anonymity and why we chose the platform podcasts and audio only name only as a basis for our conversation and our interaction and speaking with you, wherever you are, whoever you are, whoever you think you are. <laughs> um, the basis of that premise stems from Alcoholics Anonymous and Bill Wilson and the traditions. And anonymity is typically thought of a hiding of one's name to avoid retribution for disclosing explosive information or something that could be damning. And alcoholism for many years was considered a very, very horrible stigma to have attached to you because there never seemed to be any solution to it. And through history, alcoholics were largely ignored and thrown to the side of the road, killed, whatever could be done to get them out of the way because there was nothing in society that was actually capable of helping them. And today, I think sobriety is looked at a much different thing. And the admission of alcoholism or drug addiction is actually applauded because many people have recovered for decades and decades and decades. And uh, there's good evidence that there is ample recovery available. So while the stigma may be different, it doesn't mean when an individual comes to terms with the fact they may be struggling with an addiction and actually be an addict or an alcoholic that there isn't some sensitivity to that disclosure. And so anonymity was provided for the individual, provide a sanctuary for people to approach sobriety without worry of the stigma and to share and participate with the group without hesitation to confront what could otherwise seem shameful to face. And when we meet openly in meetings, we're asked to hold the confidence of what is said in the group, which isn't always done, but it's asked, and there are no enforcement wings of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's all voluntary, and it's all up to the individual to hold the agreements and or principles amongst the group, because the groups are just made up of individuals, obviously. And being able to talk openly for the individual allows the rest of the people listening to see that very often the thing the person finds difficult to talk about is not quite as difficult once they talk about it and also helps other people to see how they tend to keep things to themselves that they think are difficult and for the sake of feeling difficult, not talking about them openly and diffusing the seeming haunting nature of those thoughts becomes impossible if they think they can't do it and don't have a place to do it in. So those are the functional aspects. The other, the other aspect of it is that announcing our membership, anyone's membership, as a, as a member of AA or a member of any of these 12 steps group is suggested not to be done publicly at the level of press, radio, film, or now internet for the sake that if an individual who has some form of celebrity or notoriety or infamy or, or is famous were to talk about openly their membership to any organization and then go out and drink and use and do the thing they had claimed the membership was helping them abstain from or recover from, it would give the public an impression that the program, the organization doesn't work. 
And if the organization looks as though it's not going to work for someone out there who may be looking for a direction to go and they think there's no direction as a result, then the primary purpose of that organization has failed. And it's largely the idea of not announcing membership at the levels of press, radio, film, or internet is to avoid that from happening. So it's a double-edged sword that's basically the same thing. It's for the safety and security of the individual and also for the safety and security of the group to be able to provide the service that it's there to provide, the primary purpose, which is to help other people who are struggling and suffering. And with the 12-step programs, it would be with any symptom, any addiction, relationships, gambling, sex, love. They say there, uh, um, I think love is broken down into many different categories. Food has many different forms of abstinence, relationships, codependency. There's all kinds of meetings attached to all of the different expressions that are attempts to escape in any compulsive way from the mental issue that is disturbing, which would be the mental obsession. And every one of those 12-step programs is centered in a disease that centers in the mind. Every one of them are symptoms centered in a disease centered in the mind. So anonymity was not designed to have us hide our sobriety or our experience. Which means that while we are sober, we can still speak as citizens and still talk about public policy and still include ourselves in a discussion without singling out our relationship to any one of the organizations. As citizens, we can speak with experience. And much of the, many of the policies that are made are made without the help of people who are well in the know, uniquely qualified to understand the problem. And as a result, the policies are based on decisions that don't serve the problem. They serve the problem better than actually the solution which is why I would suggest addictions at an all-time high today and suicide is at an all-time high in many different categories, maybe all. I don't think it's an accident. I think it's a consequence of the maintenance of the thinking that doesn't end with an individual compulsion, and it doesn't end when that compulsion has been arrested or recovered from. The beginning of seeing what's wrong starts typically when the clarity of thought is returned from the distractive nature of an obsessive compulsive activity that's been drawing our attention and intoxicating or consuming our attention to the point where we haven't been paying attention to what's actually happening. And once any of us get sober, seeing that more clearly becomes evident. So the struggle actually begins once sobriety takes hold and the sense of freedom is there and the clarity is there. And Clancy, who is somewhat recognized within sober circles in a pretty broad international way, had said that if drinking were the problem, then when we stopped drinking, our problems would be solved. And in fact, the steps are designed to actually guide us through areas where we haven't been honest and start to take our hands off of those ideas that we held for so long to be true that were in fact not true and in fact inflicting on us the affliction we claimed to be happening to us while it was maintaining the ideas about the things we were doing that were ultimately condemning us. 
our discussion is geared to use first names and audio only so that we can respect the 12 step traditions or the 12 traditions and the 12 steps and any program and talk about those programs openly and allow our experience to include those programs without hesitation or reluctance or fear of tarnishing or sullying any of those organizations for any of the improprieties that any of us may have done or become recognized for having been doing because we're really not doing what we can to expose who we are in a faceless in in a in a in a persona basis so anonymity is about being faceless personaless placeless timeless and it really isn't a chance to hide anything at all but it's really the chance to begin to expose what we all share in common rather than the stories we all use to distinguish our misery and pain the stories the places the faces the times that we use to qualify our pain as being real our problems as being real this is about beginning to actually recognize that what we share in common has no problem and isn't a solution because it was never a problem and has a basis that's absolute and loving which is one of the traditions that our only authority is a loving authority the only authority so it means aa any of these 12 step programs has no authority other than a loving authority and that doesn't define anything other than a word is used by god but it may well be the best description of god because a loving authority can't condemn can't harm can't threaten can't hold anything in contempt because it is not contemptful and is supportive and caring and giving always everywhere now and it begins to take out the issue of time and space and what we have done and begin to make the present the place at which everything that's happening is not only happening but the only place we can do anything about anything we regret or bemoan or fear the only place we can do anything about those things is here now and if our present state is preoccupied with thoughts about what isn't happening the chances are we're not going to do things very well in relation to what we could do by having things how they are and that anonymity is the chance to do that it's the chance to take our faces off and put our personas aside and recognize that it doesn't matter where we are we're all together there's a unified field an absolute knowing presence that we share so we do that for the basis of the essence of what anonymity is provides and interestingly bill wilson said that the traditions were designed to unify or create unity amongst the group which means not fracture not fall apart not do the things that group have, groups have notoriously done and humans have notoriously done to break apart and fracture the essence which has happened in groups before aa came along hundreds of thousands of people had been involved in in alcohol issues prior to aa that the organization just finally wilted because it got into political issues and took stands and positions and ended up being torn apart by the ideas those ideas rather than the unifying idea of a primary purpose which is to simply help others with the same affliction of whatever 12 step 
program is being represented. So Bill talked about it. Ultimately, AA as an organization is benign anarchy. An interesting word because anarchy has not been made much fun of or has been looked at as a word that is filled with fraught and fear and executions and violence and explosions. But love, ultimately, the ultimate utopian ideal of anarchy is love, because in a loving environment, there's no rules needed, none. So this isn't about stripping the individual of the idea they have to do what they want. It's about starting to see that when we think about things in relation to what's good for everyone else, all of a sudden there seems to be a better line of thinking because it actually aligns us to the way things are because we are not divided and we are not separated and we are not individuals in any individual way other than we have the freedom to make choices about things we can choose, which I would suggest is will. So the fact we can choose those things means we can choose in favor of all things, and we can also choose in favor of thinking for ourselves and making believe that the self we're thinking for is so real and true that it justifies fighting everyone else when, in fact, we create the threat we're claiming to protect ourselves from. And that, I'd say, was a good definition of addiction. We're dealing with the mental aspect of addiction, which to talk about openly, to admit mental illness, not in a medical term here, because I don't want to take on the medical community, but is simply a lack of ease, dis-ease created by the discomfort from beginning to entertain ideas that aren't true, as true. And when I create this conflict, it becomes an untenable situation, something that's impossible to survive because it constantly creates more and more and more and more of the same in the name of trying to think that someday it will get better. And if the better it gets is has me get better at denial and defense and delusion, then I think I'm getting better, which is typical in addiction because addiction is reversed because it's trying to turn what isn't true into true. So everything it does is backward, has me get the opinion I'm getting better at doing the things that are actually killing me desensitizing me, making me less aware of what's happening, making me less useful because I'm interacting with things in my head that don't even exist, voices, seeing things that aren't there. Good definition for insanity is seeing and hearing things that aren't there. If I'm talking to myself about things that aren't happening because I'm thinking about what should be happening, what I wish was happening, what I hope was happening, I'm not talking about anything that isn't happening, that's happening. I'm talking only about what isn't happening. That's a pretty good indication that I'm seeing and hearing things that ain't happening. So we don't have to talk about this on a level that becomes so academically fraught with definition to simply witness our own experience and recognize that when we're anxious, we're probably anxious over something we're doing. And if I'm doing it and I'm announcing that, and I'm talking about it, maybe it gives you a chance to see that it's the same thing you do too. While it may be attached to different places and times and people, the same ultimate underlying issue is similar. And if we can talk about that openly, maybe by bringing it out into the air and talking about it openly, we can look at things clearer and have an impact on things in our environment where we begin to actually 
turn what looks impossible, and I would say addiction right now at the level it is with people living on the street the way they are, seems very impossible to people. And I would suggest it's simply that way because people have not actually looked at the problem. They've been looking at what they think about the problem, and as a result, creating solutions based on what they think rather than what's actually happening. And that addiction begins to reveal itself as being something that isn't just happening to people who have these glaring compulsions that they're struggling with. It's happening with people who are sitting in places of authority, thinking they have the authority to impose on others something that's actually harming them while they're claiming it's helping. And I would suggest again, that's a good example of addictive thinking that seems to be hiding in the halls of what would we would consider authority, whether it's city hall or Congress or the Senate, wherever, wherever that thinking is, it is going to lead to destructive, corrupt ends. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. An oak seed never grows a pine tree. And a corrupt seed in thought always ends up corrupt. No matter how long we nurse it and try to refine it, it's going to be what it is. It's going to express what it is. And we, I would suggest, as a population, have a much greater opportunity to benefit the population that seems impossible to help when we start thinking of the possibility that's possible amongst ourselves as being possible rather than constantly retell the stories of what's impossible that are based on ideas that absolutely have no hope. And it doesn't have to be other people's ideas that we change to start seeing that it's the change in our own ideas that has the greatest, broadest impact. If any of us are willing to act on a basis that's actual and realized, then we're starting to act on a basis that's happening and natural. And through history, anything that has been considered just like the advent of zero in math, when it was originally considered, which kept people from having to keep records, accounting records on stone tablets with hash marks filling barns of tablets, it allowed us to begin to add numbers without having to constantly, constantly, constantly replicate those things on a by scrawling. It allowed numbers to be able to function properly, but it was originally seen as heresy because you could multiply something by zero and have it disappear, and it was seen like magic and black magic, and it was completely objectionable within Europe, anyhow, as I understand it, read about it. So when things are applicable, they just start working. And it doesn't matter how much opposition there is to it. When Copernicus and all these guys started realizing the world's not in the center of the universe, there was a lot of opposition. Everybody caused problems, fought, defended their ideas. And eventually, because it was actually the case, everybody started realizing, oh, it's just that way. That's how it is. We have that chance wherever we are because it's the only chance we have that's actual and real because the rest of what we do when we make believe it's up to us to think about it is delusional. And to think delusion is truth and reality is to live in a world that we don't have much to do with and think that the world then is against us. 
So we operate on this platform to broaden the scope of the conversation and allow people to come and engage with us. And you're all welcome to send an email and talk about your thoughts and ideas and topics if you'd like, so that we can broaden our conversation and begin to engage around a useful, worthy, valuable, interactive capacity that is our nature. And nature has always been natural. And nature is easy. You don't need to convince people that they have a nature if they have a nature. But talking about it openly helps people, my experience, become aware of that nature and become willing to begin to express that nature and become willing to see that all the little petty incursions of thought that they have been harnessing and thinking they would hold on to and get better in time are nothing more than silly little gestures that become vaporous and disappear as quickly as we start seeing them accurately as they are, rather than as we make believe they are and have faith in them as being, to continue to foster them and justify them and rationalize them. We can act on a premise that is whole, that is absolute, and that is actually the only thing we've ever had to act on, regardless of how delusional we've been. Anonymity is the basis of seeing that we all share something in common. And it doesn't have a face. It doesn't have a persona. It doesn't wear Gucci or shoes. It doesn't even need to be in a place for it to be everywhere we are. And as you are, it is where you are always. And that goes for all of us. So as you look in the world and see what's wrong in the world, begin to see that what you're seeing is what's wrong in your thinking. And all those other people out there and all those other things have nothing in them that's true that isn't true for you. And they have nothing in them that's false, that has any basis, any more than what you think is false, is true. That basis we share is absolute. It is inviolable. It means it's unextinguished. It can't be extinguished. You can't put it out. You can't put it in. We can't get in it. We can't get out of it. It's just an essence of presence that's absolute and that's all-knowing and that we know better as a result of when we know what's wrong, we're admitting we know better.